0: Let's, if you're physically able, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, please. A standalone message this morning. As I said, Somewhat famous passage, but we want to take in more than just this chapter, as we think about the topic at hand. First Samuel chapter three, verse one: "Hear the word of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. You've heard the Bible say where there is no vision, the people perish. That doesn't mean having a wonderful vision statement. That's God's revelation. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. 1 Samuel 3, 4. Then the Lord, Yahweh, called Samuel, and he said, That's Samuel said, here I am and ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And then verse 10, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before you sit down, just to let you know some, some tags or labels For the message this morning would be parenting, fatherhood, discipline. You can be seated as we pray together. Please join me in prayer. Lord, no doubt we do not tremble before you in these days as we ought. Help us this morning. For you are holy and there is no God like you. There is no other God besides you. Our hymn that we sing says, speak, O Lord. And we want to say, what Samuel said, what Eli taught him to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And again, we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. May that be so. Lord, help us now. We, we must have you speak to us through your word. Thank you that you have spoken. And would you help us this morning through the Holy Spirit? We would see Jesus to so do your work in our weakness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've already mentioned the, uh, the tags or the labels of parenting, fatherhood, discipline. There's other tags as well. Samuel, Jesus, the gospel. In the movie Paper Planes, you have an example of something that I think is actually pretty common in modern movies and in modern stories. In this movie Paper Planes, as I say, as just one example among many, really, I think, you have a competition for youngsters, some type of competition. In this case, it's see you can fly the paper plane the longest. And you have one kid who is very good, very confident. And he is, well, he, he acts like a jerk. I think this is very common. You have a feel-good story or movie having to do with competition of some sort or another. Everybody's pulling for the good guy, who often tends to be the humble guy, maybe the poor guy, and the bad guy, well, it's clear who the bad guy is, as I've already said, because he acts so arrogant and so cocky. And he's so good, so formidable as a competitor. And this is the key. The villain who happens to be really good so often in these movies and in these stories uh, has a parent who is weak, who is run over by the arrogant child. The movie works because you do not like this cocky kid. And you want him to lose, lose, lose. But the kid is so terrible that even their parents appear afraid of them. And this is not new. And we see something similar, even if not exactly the same, we see something similar in our text today. Look with me again at the text of First Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, where we left off. 1 Samuel chapter three verse eleven. The Bible says, and hopefully we've got the, the story thus far in our minds. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. First Samuel three twelve. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons, notice this, his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Friends, let me remind you of what the uh, Scriptures of the New Covenant say. Let me remind you of one passage from the New Covenant Scriptures. Of course, it's what we call the New Testament. It's Ephesians 6.4, and just hear it this morning. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's richness here in this well-known, famous story. We won't focus a lot on Samuel this morning, but we do see Samuel... God and the gospel of God this morning. Perhaps many of you know 1 Samuel chapter 3 already. Uh, We've just read it, but let me just very quickly summarize it. It's a well-known story. Children, maybe you know this story, boys and girls. Uh, Hopefully Christians of all ages uh, know this story. If not, you're in for a treat as you maybe read it, including the larger context this afternoon. 1 Samuel 3 is that wonderful story, as we have just read, of young Samuel, who is the product, humanly speaking, of, of who? Well, humanly speaking, he's the product of his, of his mother, Hannah, right? Uh, one who was barren, Hannah and Elkanah. And then we also see a clear contrast in the passage today. We have Hannah and her offspring, and then we have Eli and his offspring, So in 1 Samuel chapter 3, in that wonderful story, you have the young young man, the young boy Samuel, who's ministering under the high priest Eli, and Samuel, it's nighttime, and he hears the Lord, it's all caps, right? It's Yahweh, and the Lord says to him, what? He says, Samuel, and Samuel's young, what did the text say? It says, he did not yet know the Lord. That's important. He did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Time number one, Samuel. And this time he says, immediately it seems, he says, here I am, here I am. And then he goes to Eli and he says, here I am. You called me. Eli's very old and basically blind. Samuel's young. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Time number two, Samuel. This is the Lord God. Eli, here I am. You called me. I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. Samuel, here I am. I didn't call you, but wait. Wait, says Eli. This must be the Lord. Here's what you are to do, Samuel, as you know the story. Samuel, go back. Lie down. If he calls you again, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Which again, by the way, as we just prayed, is a wonderful prayer for us. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And here, young Samuel, the Lord indeed calls to him a fourth time. Uh, The fourth time is verse 10. Look at it again. And the Lord came, 1 Samuel 3.10, and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And even now we pray that. Now look at it again, verse 11. Here's what I want to do. I want to notice straight from the text, okay? You hold my feet to the fire. Straight from the text, I want to see two headings and then two takeaways. Two headings and two takeaways. Look at it again, verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, Young Samuel, right? He's a boy. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Samuel didn't know the Lord until this time. The word of the Lord had never been revealed to him. And and get this, the first thing that God reveals to him is what? Is an announcement of judgment against his beloved mentor. An announcement of judgment against his beloved mentor. Mentor, the high priest Eli. On that day, verse 12, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. Now please notice verse 13. This is the key. This is is kind of over everything this morning. I'm going to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. There's three things in verse 13. The main thing in verse 13, don't worry about this, these three, don't worry about writing those down or anything. The main central thing in verse 13 is that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were blaspheming God. That's the main thing. They were blaspheming God. Eli knew about it and he did not restrain them. Just, just got to get that. They were blaspheming God. Eli knew about it, and he did not restrain them. Go with me back to chapter 2. This is where we understand the story. Chapter 2. Two headings and two takeaways. Heading number one, God is not pleased with Eli. Have you noticed that already? If, you've, uh, if you're have if you paying attention to what we've already read there in 3.13, this should come as no surprise if you're trekking already. In 3.13, although now we're in chapter 2, we're in chapter 2, we've already seen that God is not pleased with Eli. The Lord is not pleased with Eli. Now that's actually saying it mildly. That's to put it mildly, okay? When we say the Lord is not pleased with Eli, that's what I'm intentionally saying first. I'm intentionally putting that first. The Lord is not pleased with Eli, which is to put it very mildly. Look at verse 29. Look with me at verse 29 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2. We don't know who the mouthpiece is, mouthpiece is here, beginning in verse 27, but it's a prophet, is an unnamed prophet. And he comes to Eli with a message from God. And in verse 29, he says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? It's almost like God is really focused on himself. It's almost like God is jealous for his own glory. Look at it again. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices? That's why it matters. And my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling. And here's the payoff right here. Notice this, 2.29b. And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. What's heading number one of these two basic headings? The Lord is not pleased with Israel. Not Israel, I'm sorry, with Eli. The Lord is not pleased with Eli. Which is to say it mildly, because because what he's doing, listen, what he's doing is he's pronouncing judgment on Eli and on his house, on the household of Eli. Uh, We see, right, we see a solidarity between the head of the house and his house, right? Solidarity between the man and his house. He's pronouncing judgment on the household of Eli. It's... it's, uh, not saying nearly enough to say that he is displeased. Verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised, past tense, that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And in so many ways, that's just as true today. Did you see that in verse 30? Please note that, at least in your mind, and maybe more so in your heart. Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. That's really part of the heart of the gospel, is to submit to God as God and to relinquish any. Frail ideas that you are your own God or your own Lord. When we see verse 29 of chapter 2 and verse 30, and if you were to look, which we're not, if you were to look at verses 27 through 36 and to see this judgment that is pronounced by this unnamed prophet, we see that the Lord is pronouncing judgment on the household of Eli, which includes Eli. Remember, we're talking about, at least at first, we're talking this morning about parenting, fatherhood, and discipline. Heading number two. Heading number one, the Lord was not pleased with Eli. Heading number two, Eli did what was good in our text. Now listen, look at the text with me. Heading number two, Eli did what was good in our text. Now we're moving backwards here, okay? So we started with especially verse 13 of chapter three. Especially 3.13 already tells us the end of the story. We already know the end. We already know God's assessment. We know the assessment of God who is perfect. We already know the Lord is not pleased with him at all. He's not pleased with him at all. And so... Point number two, heading number two, Eli did what was good in our text. Even though this is heading number two, this comes before the assessment, right? Eli did what was good. Verse 22, chapter two. or Samuel 2, 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing that all his son. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Say what? This is, just to give you the the historical context, this is at the end, near the end of the period of the judges. Eli and Samuel function in some ways as the last of the judges. Eli, you've got Israel, You don't have to be an Old Testament scholar. Just know the basics. Eli is the high priest of Israel. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are priests under him. Eli's the high priest. This is the end of the period of the judges. What's the significance of that? What's the significance of the period of the judges? Here it is. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Which is the Bible so relevant to today. The Old Testament is so relevant to today. It's the Word of God. Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. That's the book of Judges. And in a sense, in a sense, you're still in the book of Judges here at the beginning of 1 Samuel. That's what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. They were priests of God Most High. They were entrusted with the things of God. And they were sleeping with and having sexual relations with the women who were serving in the tabernacle. Verse 22. Get this, verse 12. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Ah, That's, how about a little bit more of a generous assessment? Nope. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Look at verse 13. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. What's going on here? Your everyday people of Israel, I think you could say your well-meaning people of Israel, many of them truly God-fearing. Your people of Israel were coming here to the tabernacle doing what was prescribed in the law, and Hophni and Phinehas, the wicked, worthless sons of Eli, had their, their thug henchmen. They weren't even doing it themselves. They had their thugs go out. And you keep reading the text and they were threatening people. You do this or else they already had provision from God as priests. They already it was outlined in the law. You would be taken care of. That's not enough. They were worthless. And by the way, by the way, there's over and over this contrast here with the sons of Eli and the son of Hannah. Even before you read in verse 12 that they were worthless, you read in verse 11, the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Which I guess you might say in one sense, you're never too young by the grace of God. The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. The sons of the high priest were sleeping with the ladies who served there and the first thing that they did was summarized in verse 17. The men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. What's the big deal? Well, it's the offering of the Lord. The sin of the young men, verse 17, was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. In God's sight, their sin was very great. And then you get verses 18 through 21, which we won't... Look at it, and what is that? Once again, a contrast. Samuel and then Hophni and Phinehas. God's chosen young man, worthless young men who were no doubt older. Heading number one, the Lord is not pleased with Eli. But heading number two, Eli did what was good, did he not? Did Eli not do what was good? In verse 22, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. Notice this verse 24 of chapter 2. The people of the Lord spreading abroad. And I ask you, is this not good, what he's doing here? Is this not good? If someone sins, verse 25, against a man, God will mediate for him, Hophni and Phineas. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Stop there. Second heading is this, Eli did what was good. I mean, you've got to take into account, you have to take into account, right, that he was old. He's not able to do what he used to do. He's not able to oversee the the daily worship of the tabernacle the way he was used to do. You have to, right? You've got to take into account the fact that he was old, that he was almost blind. Eli was a good man. He was a nice man. He was an old man. But you don't have to think very long or very hard to think, You just read the context. If you know Eli, Eli was a fat man. Eli, it seems, maybe enjoyed the benefits of the flagrant sin, verse 17, of what his sons were doing. It seems that Eli, you got the heading in your ESV Bible, the heading says in verse 22, Eli rebukes his sons. Isn't that good? Isn't that commendable? It's not enough. Friends, it's not enough. Eli was a fat man enjoying the sinful food taken from the people of Israel. He was the high priest. He had the easy ability to remove his sons, to remove his sons from their positions of authority. He didn't stop enjoying the food. He didn't remove his sons from their high, important position Of authority. And so is it the case? Are our assessments always the best? Or should we stick with the assessment of God? Does this not take us right back to heading number one? Please listen. Heading number two was that Eli did what was good in our text. I mean, verses 22 through 25. By the way, you, you, see, you have a note that of, of the sovereignty of God at the end of verse 25. God doesn't play games with persistent rebellion. Heading number two was Eli did what was good. He was a good man. He was a nice man. He was an old man. Give the guy a break. He, rebu- he rebuked his sons. He told them, what are you doing? He told them. He told them, Do you not know that you might be in grave danger with the Lord? Nevertheless, listen, nevertheless, the Lord was not pleased with Eli. So, without any further ado, the Lord was not pleased with Eli. Eli did what was good, didn't he? Didn't he? In our text. Two words, two words. A word to fathers and all Christians and a word of hope and good news. First, a word to fathers and to all Christians. A word to fathers and to all Christians. Hear the book of James. And let me first of all say that I hope this will be received as a gracious word. This first thing is a word to fathers and all Christians. Dare I use the dirty word the Lord has in his world. It is his world. The Lord has established a certain hierarchy in his world, which includes the leadership of men over their families. Listen to me. Men look at me includes the leadership of men over their families. The primary aspect of the leadership of a man over his families would be the spiritual aspect. but the word of grace comes, and it's all a word of grace, really. The word of grace comes, and it says to us this morning, there is one and only one perfect Father. James chapter 1, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Praise the Lord that there is one perfect Father. Because it is, I guarantee you, it's not me and it's not you. There is no such thing except for James chapter 1. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This text today, First Samuel 3, is a sobering text. It holds before us, all Christians, but maybe especially as fathers, the folly it is to love our children more than we love God to assess things in our own minds and say, I'm not sure God's assessment. Those boys weren't worthless, right? They were worthless. God had determined, no doubt because of their rebellion, no doubt because of their hard-heartedness and their sin. Nevertheless, God had determined to judge them and nothing would be able to stay the hand of God's judgment against Hophni and Phinehas. We better know That the assessment of God, even if it doesn't always make sense to us, is the better assessment than our own. We need fathers to love God and his word more than our own children. And in that way, we love our own children well. We love them well when we love God supremely. We love them well when we know his word and when we as fathers take it upon ourselves to learn his word. There is only one perfect father. This is a sobering word in 1 Samuel. It is also a word of grace. It is not too late. It is not too late to say, God, help me. Help me by your grace. Help me to be the the man, the father that I should be. Well, just uh, I was just reading from James chapter 1, and I just turn over one page, and you don't have to, but I just turn over one page to Hebrews 12. I'm still talking to fathers. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, Hebrews 12, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, listen, listen. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Ephesians 6, 4, again. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's not the job of our wives. Women, mothers, and grandmothers, who was it, Eunice and Lois, have mightily important roles in the home, mightily Ephesians 6.4 does not allow a man to say, I'm going to delegate this to my wife. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of course, when we're dealing with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, we're dealing with not nine-year-olds, right? We're dealing with maybe, I don't know. I'm sorry, I didn't study this part of it, but maybe 29-year-olds. It seems to be saying to us, right? It seems to be saying to us that there is a difference between rebuking and restraining. Listen to me. Eli did rebuke his sons. What did he not do? 3.13, 1 Samuel, he did not restrain them. Oh, I do wonder. I do wonder if there is such broad, broad, shameful, and sinful passivity. I don't see America as the new Jerusalem, but I do wonder if it wouldn't change the course of our countries, of our country, of America, if only the people of God If it would start with the house of God and the households in the house of God. It is a word to fathers, but it is a word not only to fathers, but to all Christians. I'm a big fan of Del Ralph Davis. Listen to what he says. This is a word to all Christians. This first Samuel three passage. The man of God he says at the end of chapter 2 rebukes the sin of sweet reasonableness. you hear that sweet what is sweet reasonableness? Sweet reasonableness is the willingness to tolerate sin, to allow God's honor to take a back seat, to prefer my boys to my God. Or Eli, blood was thicker than fidelity. Wheat reasonableness really smells. This is a word to fathers. It's really a word to all Christians. Sometimes niceness can be the enemy of true love. Listen to what he says. You can end up in grave sin by thinking it very important to be nice to people. You can end up in grave sin by thinking it very important to be nice to people. How easy it is to practice a gutless compassion that never wants to offend anyone, that equates niceness with love and thereby ignores God's law and essentially despises his holiness. We do not necessarily seek God's honor when we spare human feelings. Wow, man, is this guy just saying be mean? No, he's not saying that. No, he uses these words, gutless compassion, gutless compassion, sweet reasonableness, which in some instances is the all out enemy of the love of God for real people. It has been said, and this is the summary of what Eli did. Eli did nothing. Apparently, there's a big difference between rebuking and restraining fathers restrain restrain your sons in their sin i need you to listen and hear for a few more minutes take away number 1 a word for fathers and for all christians take away number 2 a word of hope and good news Look at the text again. When we apply God's word, we don't make it up, we apply it from the text. This is the second of two takeaways a word of hope and of good news. First Samuel chapter two. Look at the end of verse twenty five. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. They would not listen to the voice of their father, it said immediately before that, which could have been a problem with Eli. I don't want to harp on that too long. It's, it's not okay to not be listened to. Now, that may sound really crazy, but I think we live in crazy times. It's not okay to not be listened to. But the reason, ultimately, that they would not listen to the voice of their father was because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Wow. Wow. The gospel and the scriptures explicitly, listen, the scriptures explicitly tell us of another son of whom it was the will of the Lord to put him to death. Listen to me. The scriptures explicitly say it was the will of the Lord to put him to death, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay in verse 25. Stay in verse 25. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. I do have a word this morning, I trust, in as much as I'm faithful to the Bible parents and to fathers and about discipline, but the main word is Samuel, Jesus, and the gospel. Eli, Eli, the failure as a father, the failure as a father, the high priest. In verse 25, he speaks so well. If someone sins against a man, Hophni and Phinehas, God will mediate for him. But in these days of shadow, In these days, this is the word of God, but in these days of shadow, before yet we had the full substance and the substance belongs to Christ. He asked this penetrating question, this excellent question. If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Answer being nobody. But we know better, don't we? We know that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. By the way, young people, boys and girls, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The Lord Jesus can intercede if someone sins against God. The Lord Jesus intercedes for his people. The Lord Jesus can intercede for you today. Verse 26, verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man which has to be taken, has to be taken with Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, which is just to say the Lord was pleased with Samuel. He's even more pleased, way more pleased with his son. Luke 2.52 must be seen as the ultimate fulfillment of Samuel 2.26, even in these two verses. You see three gospel pointers already in chapter 3, verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Which is awesome because you read the rest of the chapter, and the word of the Lord is going to come. It's going to be from, go from a wordless society to a wordful society. And it's awesome because the word, by the end of chapter 3, the word comes, but then that's not doesn't hold a candle. It doesn't hold a candle to one time when there was 400 years of prophetic silence. 400 years and wicked, wicked people like this. And then the word came. The word, John chapter 1 came. Verse 35, chapter 2. I'm almost done. He speaks a word of judgment against the household of Eli. Verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Here's what I'm going to do, Eli. I'm, I'm done with your household. I'm definitely done with Hophni and Phinehas. Who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before me, my anointed forever. Look at those words, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, we see that Jesus fulfills both of those things that we just read. He is the anointed, he is the king, and he is the faithful priest. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is what you need. This is what I need, and this is what we need. We definitely don't need Hophni and Phineas. We don't need Eli. Samuel comes next, and he's God's man. And what happens to Samuel? Listen, his son's no good. Read First Kings chapter 1, David. It never happened that with one of David's sons, he never wanted to displease him. He never wanted to displease him. And so he never said a harsh word to his son. You and I need a better priest. We need a better king. We need a better prophet. And it is the one that Hebrews 7, 26 speaks of. We need a better model for fathers, even than if we had great fathers and we have one. He is holy and innocent, unstained, the Lord Jesus Christ, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Let us hear this morning a word to fathers, a word to all Christians. It certainly wasn't nice for God to bruise his son. It was the will of his father to crush him, to put him to death, to subject him to the treatment that we cannot imagine. He's holy and righteous and innocent. He did it for our sake, for all who will repent and believe. For all who will repent and believe, let us pray this morning. Lord, even this morning, grant by your grace repentance and faith. Quicken us. Teach us. We thank you in this same passage for this beautiful prayer of Hannah. We thank you for the great reversals of the gospel. We thank you that those who were barren will have seven children. That those who were poor and for longing for bread will be full and have full bellies. And that those whose bellies have been full will be in want. Tether our minds and the life of our church to your word, we pray. And help us, O God. Help us in this generation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.